0: What's up? It's Jonathan Hood. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast brought to you by Miller Lite, the presenting sponsor of the 2020 ESPN 1000 Virtual Fantasy Football Championship. Find out how you can be a part of it at ESPNFFC.com. It's ESPNFFC.com. Live from the First Midwest Bank
1: Studio on State Street, this is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Jonathan Hood, WMVP Chicago. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000.
0: Every night at 8 o'clock, we give you something fantasy. We give you something college. We give you something NFL. Every night at 8 o'clock, we give you, my friends, the summer of football. The summer of football.
1: All you
2: can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On
1: ESPN 1000.
2: We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Holmes. Flushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires
1: downfield. Touchdown only Mahomes. You throw to score. You run to win. And here's Saquon Quad Buckley. And it's off to the races The 30, the 20. Saquon for six. The summer of football at eight. Eight. eight Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Baker to Armstrong run book five.
2: He's got time. Launching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Terrence
1: Marshall. The Summer of Football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah,
0: that's my dog.
1: On Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000
0: and the ESPN Chicago app. Summer of Football with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. If you're a football fan, every night at 8 o'clock I'm giving you something football. Tonight... It will just be another terrific list to find out where the Bears are amongst everyone else in the National Football League. I'd like to remind you, coming up at 820, we'll hear from Jay Williams, be part of a new morning show. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and uh, Zubin Mahinty will take place on August 17th. So we'll hear from um, Jay Billis, I'm sorry, Jay Billis, Jay Williams about um, the NBA and the new morning show coming to ESPN 1000 on the 17th of August. And if you're a wrestling fan, Tuesday, wrestling, Tuesday, every night at, uh, uh, 830 on Tuesdays, every Tuesday night, we give you something for pro wrestling and sports entertainment. You'll have that at 830 right here on Chicago's home for sports. So I saw this on the athletic.com. Shield capadia Ranking every NFL offense from one to 32 going into the 2020 season. Oh boy. You know, I love a list. You know, if you listen to this show, you know, I love a list. And so, of course, every time I see a list, I try to determine where that list is compared to the bears, right? Where we place the best against the bears, because ultimately it's about the bears versus the NFC North It's the Bears against the NFC. It's the Bears versus everyone else to find out where the organization is amongst others based on a lot of opinions around the league. So, Shiel Capadia wrote this from TheAthletic.com. Ranking every NFL offense from 1 to 32 going into the 2020 season. Among the 20 teams that have made the NFC or AFC title games over the past five seasons, 18 have ranked in the top eight in offensive efficiency. So, given that rule changes uh, have made defense more challenging and that overall quarterback play has improved, offense has become king. There are always exceptions, but competing for a Super Bowl without a really efficient offense has really become extremely difficult. So, let's take a look at what Football Outsiders has to say. Like, which teams have offenses that are good enough to compete for a championship? (laughs) It's almost like I'm giving you the elbow and the ribs when I read this, right? Because of course, all of this I read is always in the prism of the Bears and what they can do. So once again, this illustrates who's the best and where the Bears are and how far the Bears are from being the best. Because ultimately, if you're not one of the top teams in the NFL offensively, then what's the you know what's the point? You want to be able to strive for that. and that You don't pick up Jimmy Graham and say, you know what, we're going to have Jimmy Graham because we're going to be the best offense in the NFL. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a tight end room with 13 tight ends and say, you know what, we're going to be the best offense in the NFL. Uh, we'll have Trubisky starting, so that means we're going to be the best in the NFL. Kansas City Chiefs is number one. I think you, without even asking, I know that you know that, right? With Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Number two on this list is Baltimore. Because of Lamar Jackson, he's the reigning MVP. Um, Terrific team that they have offensively, including a good running game. Tight end Mark Andrews and J.K. Dobbins, they they picked up in the draft. Saints are third in this list with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Um, The Cowboys are fourth on this list. Uh Ah. Cowboys are fourth in this list. They finished eight and eight last season because of its defense, special teams, and coaching. Uh, but their offense is balanced. I like the Cowboys' offense. They just are underachieving. That's the pro- that's the point of it. Seahawks are fifth in this list. Uh, San Francisco, who was the NFC champions, are sixth. Arizona seventh. With Cliff Kingsbury, mm, with Kyle Murray as a quarterback. Eighth is Indianapolis. Ninth is Tennessee. Uh, with Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback in a potent running game with Derrick Henry, who averaged, uh, let's see, an A.J. Brown, also part of this offense. And number 10, the Las Vegas Raiders. The offense was not the problem last year. Derrick Carr efficiently operated the balanced system of John Gruden. Only, um, only Lamar Jackson was better than Derrick Carr against man coverage. <laughs> It's amazing, these numbers that you could find, and it it, it co- completely turns your opinion around on some of these teams. Okay, so are, are we saying the Raiders are better than we thought? We're going to find out this upcoming season. So you scroll down, you're looking for the Bears, right? Tampa's 11th, and the Eagles are 12th, and the Packers, Falcons, Steelers. Those are the top 15. 16, Lions, Bills, Browns, Rams are 19th, Texans are 20th. I'm still looking for the Bears. Vikings are 21st. Ah, Giants are 22nd, Patriots 23rd, and the Bears are 24th. Matt Nagy made changes to his coaching staff, and the Bears brought in Nick Foles to compete with Mitch Trubisky. Chicago was one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL last season, and there's little reason to believe that they'll be significantly better on the ground in 2020. That's a strong comment from TheAthletic.com. As a matter of fact, let's go to Steve Palazzolo, who was with me from Pro Football Focus last week. I talked to him, especially about the running game, because I'm not one of these guys that says that you got to run the football exclusively. Cause we're not in that anymore. This is 2020. You've got to have some semblance of a running game. Uh, but I just thought that Matt Nagy sometimes abandoned the run because maybe he just wasn't the biggest fan of David Montgomery. Listen to what pro football focus says about the bears running game.
3: Here's how I look at balance in the NFL. I think you need to be able to throw the ball short, throw it intermediate, throw it deep and then run the ball like if the to me that those are the the four pieces of your offense so a lot of people look at well passes how you know 50 and run 50 percent. to me the run game might be like 25 percent. and i think the reason why i split it up that way is you just want to have answers for what the defense does you know if they sit back you can throw it short you can run it if they press you you can throw it deep you can get behind them right so it, to me, it's about having answers. I don't think you need to establish the run. I don't think you need to run the ball just because you're in the NFC North and it gets cold and windy a couple times a year. I don't believe in any of that stuff. However, the thing I saw from Montgomery last year, he was as good as it gets as far as running backs coming out in the last five years, just breaking tackles. He was outstanding at Iowa State. He was a, a he wasn't great as far as his reads. He doesn't have great burst or explosion, so he actually has to force uh, missed tackles. He's not going to run away from people. Um, and I think he, that was just lacking. You know, he just uh, he doesn't create before contact all that well. I would say, and then when you're behind an offensive line that's struggling, you know, you, you don't have much of a shot anyway. I think the run game does start with the offensive line, and it starts with the play callers. And the Chiefs have had good success because they spread to run, and they've had a passing game that you have to uh, that you have to worry about. So I think you pass to set up the run. Um, So if you can get the passing game going, it'll open up the the running game. And and I know that that's counterintuitive to, uh, you know, NFC Central slash North football and Bears football, but I think that is the way to go. Um, I think Montgomery is a guy that can do it and do it well, but he he definitely has to improve upon what we saw from him last year.
0: Thoughts from Steve Polozzolo. You can hear that interview in its entirety on the ESPN Chicago app. Just click under the hood, and you can hear our full conversation for Summer of Football. I just want to pull pull that out because – As much as we look at Trubisky and Foles, we know the problem there. And Trubisky's going to start the season. I don't think there's any question that he'll start the season. But it's about the weapons around Trubisky. The offensive line, it's about the running game. And so the running game's got to improve. But then the offensive line's got to be able to give holes to Montgomery. Can he create his own holes? Big question marks, big picture question marks for the Bears this upcoming season as we do Summer of Football here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. We're going to hear from Jay Williams coming up next. I just want to be able to just give you this from Kimberly Martin. Kimberly Martin covered the the Jets for a long time. Now she's an ESPN NFL reporter. Kim Martin um, talked about the whole bubble situation. You know, We talked about the National Hockey League and the uh, NBA doing well with their bubble, right? So what about the NFL? Uh, Kim says that teams don't think that the bubble is foolproof.
4: I talked to one GM yesterday, and he told me, look, Kimberly, that's not foolproof. In fact, he told me he didn't even consider renting out a hotel or doing anything similar to the Saints because here's the thing. As he put it, guys will still sneak out, see their ladies or ladies. Um, And so he said, that sounds good (laughs) in theory. But to me, it's just not foolproof. And I think that's, um, that's something that coaches and GMs had to weigh.
0: Hmm. Kim Martin's been covering the league for a while. She said, lady or ladies. Well, that's, a, that's definitely a possibility. Uh, so interesting thoughts there from Kim Martin. But again, how does this work for the NFL? Um, you and I are interested in being able to watch the NFL, whether we got to watch it at home or be at the stadium and, you know, reading from JD from ESPN.com. I mean, we still know what governor Pritzker has in mind as far as the bears and whether or not we can be able to watch games live. So, you know, we'll find out uh, that is for sure. Uh, Two quick notes for you regarding the white Sox: Nick Madrigal hurt his wrist trying to go from first to third, just a bad base running play. But the even worse is that he messed up his wrist as he went and slid into third base we don't know if it's sprained or if it's broken, and they are determining that right now. But, yeah, um, bad wrist, and Madrigal had to leave the game. And uh, Encarnacion has a little uh, problem with his shoulder. It looks like he's going to stay in the game in the Sox game against the Brewers, but uh, the walking wounded a little bit here for the Sox, especially with their pitching. Looks like, like uh, Edwin Encarnacion going to stay in the game, but definitely Madrigal's out, so we'll find out either tonight or tomorrow uh, what's going on uh, with him. All right, coming up, We'll hear from Jay Williams, his thoughts about the NBA and the bubble. And don't forget, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday as well. If you're a wrestling fan, stay by your listening device. Come up at 835. We'll have a special guest on talking about pro wrestling slash sports entertainment as we do every Tuesday right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the
1: Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at Tweet Hood on Twitter.
5: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.
0: New morning show here on ESPN 1000 starting on the 17th of uh, August. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin will start at 5 a.m., Every morning, starting on the 17th, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, Jeff Dickerson and I got a chance to talk to Jay Williams, former Bull and uh, an analyst for ESPN. And now, as I mentioned, part of that new morning show. We asked him a number of questions uh, regarding the NBA. What has been? What has it been like for him watching the NBA games again?
6: On, on a multitude of levels, guys, it's been... I'm so happy that we have an environment that's conducive to watching sports. I really do. And I say that with, you know, the most, utmost severity than I've said everything else before, because I really think that when you start looking at, you know, a lot of these leagues, and granted, we're in challenging times, but between Rob Manford, between Roger Goodell, uh, between Adam Silver, even between MLS, uh, watching all leagues, uh, UFC and Dana White, like, you know, it's, if you can create an environment that's safe, uh, then the player gets to earn. He gets to feel incredible about that, even though it is challenging mentally to be in the bubble. Uh, but they get a chance to do something that they love, still earn a great paycheck. And as a fan, um, you know, you get a chance to escape uh, what the hell's been going on over these last three and a half, four months, which seems to be such a – it's probably longer than that. Uh, it just seems like such a whirlwind and so disorienting. So to, to, to see basketball – at the level that's being played after guys have taken four and a half months off, uh, it's been incredible over the last couple of days. I've been like a little kid in the candy store.
0: Jay, I, uh, we followed your career very closely. I, I can't remember a time outside of practice that you played without fans. What do you think that's like for the players out there now?
6: Is it challenging? I'm sure it is. Uh, you know, but it, it also, you know, I, I think certain guys like Jason Tatum from the Boston Celtics, like it felt like yesterday he. And watching him play, he feeds off the vibes, the energy of a crowd. And uh, I I don't think he had that yesterday, which is why he struggled from the field. But then I think you have other guys like the 76ers, which is a dark horse team in the East to me. You know, Ben Simmons performs better when he plays pickup basketball. And they were horrible on the road, but they were great at home. And I hear people, you know, saying that argument about, well, the the energy having the crowd behind you at home is helpful, but also for guys – not have to deal with that psychological aspect of it and just to get lost in the game and talk trash. Uh, you know, so I think for certain guys, it's going to be an advantage. For other people, I think it's going to be challenging.
5: We've talked to some people, Jay, down in the bubble, and they feel like the NBA has just thought of everything. I mean, they feel like even though they're in Florida, they feel very safe throughout this entire process. And then you see the Major League Baseball with all these positive tests. Now, football is starting and some players are opting out for the NFL. Some guys are, are being put on that COVID list. Just as someone who who loves sports, who loves football, are you optimistic that an NFL and college football season is going to be played this year in its entirety? I, I
6: You know, such a different array of emotions for both. Obviously, for football, watching that stuff in real time, hearing J.J. and J.J. Watt and Russell Wilson and Zach Ertz and all these guys speak up about you know, IDERs and what the plans were and feeling, you know, due to this last CBA that they had, that their hands were somewhat forced because they would be extremely punished if they didn't show up to training camp. So I kind of feel like as a player that left the bad taste in my mouth, ultimately understanding that guys still need the paycheck and they still need to earn. I think them coming to an agreement with their CBA uh, about the uh, a portion of your contract being reallocated to the following year and the fact that, you know, depending upon the risk, if they got a 350 k buyout to 150 k buyout, it gave people, you know, who maybe, look, guys are going to be playing in frigid temperatures. It's going to be crazy to see. And I, I know I don't know what the long-term effects of COVID-19 are, but everything that we've been seeing, you know, how easily transmittable can be. So I, I don't know about the NFL. Colleges, um, you know, you're, you're seeing what happened in the SEC. Uh, We saw their commissioner the other day saying we're only going to play 10 games in conference, which kind of left the ACC hanging. They were going to play 10 games plus one, still hoping that they can get some of that money from their out-of-conference games. But ultimately, the SEC is going to be the leader, the standard here. And it wouldn't surprise me to see those guys eventually go to some kind of bubble set. Just If if you're watching all the data, if you're paying attention to what's happening with MLS and NHL is about to start in their two bubbles and the NBA – every insight to that would tell you, let's go in this direction in order for us to have the season. If that is the case, then I just want us to be the first to say, let's just call these athletes semi-pros because now that's what, that's what we're asking them to do. And that's where we are.
0: Jay, We see a lot of opt outs across the sports landscape. Uh, What's the likelihood that you would play if asked?
6: I'll be real with you, man. How much do I need the money? (laughs) Right. How much do we need the money? Uh, you know, people had some people have bills to pay, uh, for some guys who have millions in the bank account, yeah, do I want to earn? But I, I can take my foot off the gas and just be in cruise control for a year and watch. I mean, it's almost, you know, my, my daughter's too, and I'll give you this analogy. So we're, mm-hmm. we're talking my you know, coming from New York, you got to get your kid in the twos program because that's going to hinder my kid from getting into Harvard or Princeton or not. I don't want to go on a tangent. It's um, a mad New Yorker about the twos program. But anyway, coming out to the burbs a little bit, it turns out to be one of these things where it's like, I don't want to rush my kid. Let me actually just watch what happens around town for the next three to four months. And then if I feel comfortable, maybe I can get in mid-year. I'm going to have that optionality. So if you have the money, you might want to do that. Whereas if you need the money, just like any other American, you're going to do what you have to do. You're going to play. And that that's a, that's a crappy uh, you know thing to be in for anybody that has to go into their job just to earn.
5: And I kind of feel like, Jay, too, that... That point, like these NBA, these massive earners, they're playing. So to me, doesn't it just reinforce the fact that they feel very comfortable with the setup they have and they trust their commissioner? I I think it seems to me that like Adam Silver and the NBA, this is not – I think the NHL is doing a good job as well having it in Canada. But it really seems like, as opposed to some of these other sports, that these players really trust that the NBA has their best interests in mind here.
6: You could not have said that better. Uh, we were on first take, and Max Kellerman brought up this great point. He just said, you know, this is just a reflection of what relationship that the players union, the players and the commissioner have. In baseball and football, you, you, you see it, it's not completely together. It's dishuffled. It's all over the place. It's, you know, as uh, one of the founders of LinkedIn said, you know, sometimes to be an entrepreneur, you have to – jump off the cliff and assemble the plane on the Wayne down. Well, that, that comes with a lot. And the, granted, these guys are trying to pull off full seasons, whereas you know the NBA and some others are kind of completion of seasons. But it, it, it's still, I mean, Max filed this point by saying, look at the players, NBA players and Adam Silver. Look at the MLS and their commissioner. And then see what happens with Rob Manford and Roger Goodell and their players. It's pretty apparent. It's right in front of your face.
0: Well, I had you as one of the candidates to be the commissioner of the NCAA Power Five, but since you're not going to be doing that, you're going to be doing this radio show starting <laughs> on August 17th with Keyshawn Johnson and Zuvin Mahinty. Uh, tell us what you're most excited about with this new show coming up on the 17th.
6: I got to tell you, man, there is, you know, a lot of times I know how people like to categorize people and they're quickly, you know, up to try to assess like, who are you and what do you do? And I've recognized throughout my you know 13 years at ESPN that, you know, I went from being okay, like an ESPN U guy, the way they labeled me first, to an ESPN guy, but still only doing ESPN U games, like on Saturday nights, but calling it on the network. To so then, i being a guy like, all right, now I'm doing some, you know, mid-major games and things of sorts. And then all of a sudden, like I, am the guy who's on ESPN Game Day, all right? And I'm like, okay, that happened. And then people are like, well, how about you do an NBA? I'm like, I love NBA. I pay attention to all sports, and as much as I talk about all sports. I also wanted to be good at my craft. So doing the NBA and now to doing all sports, yeah, I just, a lot of my life is revolving around athletes and entertaining and, and, business is what I love. So to be able to have a platform to kick it with guys like you and, you know, story tell about some of the things that have happened while also breaking things down in real time, while also trying to equate them to what everyday people are going through. Cause I, that's how I was born and raised as a blue collar you know, individual who tries to look at things reasonable, reasonably, um, I'm stoked about it, man. Am I going to be tired all the damn time? Yes, but I am pumped about it.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now.
4: This is ESPN 1000,
1: Chicago's home for sports. Wrestling fans are... This is Tuesday. You
4: people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up.
1: Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood.
4: First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big ugly low-class redneck goot. That's what I think you are.
1: Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most
2: of all, the baddest man around in the world today.
1: Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies. As always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my
2: magnificent, you're going to be mine all night long.
0: Here's Jonathan Hood. Welcome in to another edition of Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at WrestlingTWT. The only pro wrestling show on the sports radio format in Chicago is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Wherever you download your podcast, as a matter of fact, you can look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Uh, Including on YouTube, YouTube youtube.com, look for TWT as we've got interviews and conversations you might have missed. Subscribe to the podcast, that way you never miss an episode as we drop every Tuesday at 8.30 right here on Chicago's Home for Sports ESPN 1000. Our special guest will be Mike Pankow from Windy City Slam. You can follow Mike on Twitter at... Windy City Slam, also at Mike Pankow. He is a guy that's been around the Chicagoland wrestling scene for a long time. He's got a website and a podcast as well for Windy City Slam. We'll talk to him in just a moment. I want to be able to talk first about a couple of tweets that I saw leading into Monday Night Raw last night. So before Monday Night Raw... Maria Canellas bennett who used to work for the WWE, said the WWE doesn't want to build new stars. They want to spike the ratings for a couple of weeks to keep the investors and networks happy. What WWE doesn't seem to get is ratings improve when people care about the story and the stars. Invest in the talent. Spend the time building stars. Stop the laziness. Also, uh, another tweet came in before the show from To Be Miro. And this is uh, a wrestler that was around the WWE for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Rusev Day. Rusev was his name. And now he just goes by Miro. He has a Twitch channel and a YouTube channel now. It's, it's a pretty entertaining talk show. And Miro says, we want to build new talent, quote-unquote. Shane is back, sums it up. So what he's talking about is Shane McMahon returned to the WWE of Monday Night Raw this past Monday. And it's kind of the same things that we've seen in the past. Instead of being able to build on the talent that the WWE has, they bring back stars from the past. This is why Ric Flair was on Monday Night Raw last night. Shane McMahon coming back. The WWE just had an investor's call because it's a publicly traded company. And there's questions about Paul Heyman. There's questions about creative. Vince McMahon mumbled something about how the storylines and creative got to get better for the ratings to go up because the ratings have not been great. So the point where last week I was asking you, Hey, do you think I should continue on doing this wrestling show on ESPN 1000 or just make it a podcast? And uh, we put it to a poll and the majority of you said that you want this show to continue because I didn't want to do a show where only, only a few are watching on USA network or watching on TNT. Uh, It's interesting to see how low the numbers have been And the reason why the, low, the numbers are low Is because of interest The lack of interest You would think during a pandemic That more people would be at home Watching television But if the TV shows were interesting From the WWE Then you would think that the numbers would be higher But it's not the case and so they're setting up the WWE, setting up their SummerSlam shows. There's going to be Drew McIntyre against Randy Orton. And all those things are true. You had MVP taking on Apollo Crews. Uh, that matchup took place on Raw. There's a, you know, they're setting up their big pay-per-view event. And we don't even know if it's gonna, where it's going to take place just as of yet. But the point is, is that as Eric Bischoff said... The WWE, because it's so big, it's almost a victim of their own success. And we're going to hear from Eric Bischoff in just a moment because I want you to hear from his own lips, a guy that used to produce SmackDown, that was been with the WWE several times and now just doing his podcast, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, a victim of their own success. There's good and bad in anything. But if you're a WWE fan, a hard WWE fan, it's no s- different than your favorite sports team, Right? No matter how good or bad, no matter how frustrating or happy a team will make you, it'll always be your team. And I can understand from a WWE fan standpoint, it's kind of like, man, I, you know, this is not the WWE I remember, but somehow, some way, they're going to make it right. And when I'm watching some of these shows, and again, I can't watch three hours of Raw. I'm usually on the air talking to you between, you know, six and nine. So I can't watch all three hours of Raw. But the point is is that when I'm watching this and I'm watching the WWE try to find ways to try to attract an audience, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult watch. It's not because of the talent in the ring. It's just what they have to deal with. And it doesn't make the WWE bad. It just makes it stagnant. So last night they tried something called Raw Underground, where it kind of looked like pit fighting. And they tried that. And they brought Shane McMahon back. And some of it was... Uh, intriguing, I don't know if this is something they're going to go in for the long haul I just thought it was just kind of odd I, I it's a, a, imagine if you have I don't know, 50 wrestlers and actually have those 50 wrestlers do something interesting in the ring and compelling for you to want to come back next week the WWE just has the same kind of tired formula that they had for a long time and there's the issue with the company but it doesn't mean that it's awful it just means that it's the same And I guess if you just like the same and nothing changes, then I guess that's okay. But I just think that pro wrestling, ever since the days of Gorgeous George, you want to be able to have something that's different, something that's interesting, that makes you want to say, boy, that was really good. I can't wait to watch next week. And there's a lot of diehard fans just like their teams that are going to continue to watch even though they might feel like they were not fulfilled at the end of the night. But this is what wrestling has become. Less than 1.8 million people on SmackDown on Fox. Uh, less than that on Raw on the USA Network. Way less than that on NXT. And way less than that for AEW on Turner. Uh, it's, it's good, but not great just as of yet. So, But I want you to hear from Eric Bischoff because I thought for someone who was just there in the company and no longer there, he, he makes an interesting point about the state of the WWE. Listen.
2: In, in, in a way, I think WWE has become a victim of their own success. I, I I firmly believe that. They're producing so much wrestling. Just the sheer volume of it and the work that goes into it doesn't provide for a lot of opportunity to engage in creative conversations with talent. I've been there. I've, I've I was there last summer. I saw it. You know, we talked jokingly about drinking fire from a fire hose. That's what producing television in WWE is because there's so much of it. It's not a knock on anybody. I'm amazed that they're able to crank out the kind of content that they're able to crank out, the sheer volume of it and the quality of it, given the the quantity of it. Um, but it doesn't leave a lot of opportunity for thought and creative creative thought and that's i think what eric is is referring to here uh in in some of those comments and i read them my my, myself the other day i didn't hear the the actual radio show but i did read the transcript um i i can identify with what eric is saying especially from a talent's perspective the the challenge that wwe has is they have a filter And it's been a very successful filter, as I've said many times, but there comes a time when you have to change the creative approach. You have to adapt. You you have to adapt in any business. The business changes, the market changes, the appetite changes, the conditions change, everything changes, nothing ever stays the same. And if you can't A, recognize it and B, be willing to adapt to it, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. And I, I think because the formula has been so successful for so long in WWE, there is a hesitancy to change the formula or to change the filter. And sometimes it's just necessary. And I think in WWE, you know, they've done so many things right. You know, the Performance Center, not an ideal solution, by the way, because the talent that's working in that Performance Center are not really consistently going out and performing in front of a live crowd they're not having the talent in the performance center don't necessarily get a chance to work with more seasoned talent you know you don't see a guy like Randy Orton coming in and shooting an angle over at NXT to help elevate some of that talent and get them experience and actually be in the ring working with somebody that's got the kind of pedigree that Randy Orton has. That opportunity doesn't exist.
0: The Eric that Eric Bishop was talking about was Eric Young, who was on Busted Open on XM. A victim of their own success, quite the quote from Eric Young and Uh, Eric Bischoff responding to that quote. Very, very interesting. All right, coming up, we talk to Mike Pankow and get his thoughts about the state of professional wrestling, the WWE, and also what's happening locally in the Chicagoland area with wrestling. We go to Windy City Slam next Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday at 830 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000. Chicago's
1: home for sports.
5: Go! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
1: Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago.
5: ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.
0: Welcome back to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood with you here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Every Tuesday at 8.30, we give you what you're looking for with pro wrestling and sports entertainment. Our special guest from Windy City Slam is Mike Pankow. You could follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Pankow, P-A-N-K-O-W, and check out Windy City Slam as well. Great podcast for all wrestling fans. And Mike joins me here on ESPN 1000. Mike, I appreciate your time.
4: Hey, no problem, Jonathan. Glad to be out with you
0: want to get your thoughts. Well, first and foremost, you know the biggest story in wrestling this week is The Rock (laughs) is the new owner of the XFL. Uh, He and his ex, uh, Danny Garcia, and another investor have bought into the XFL. It just, Mike, I just think it's pretty clear now, if we didn't know before, he is just the biggest box office success away from the WWE that we've ever seen.
4: Yes, he is. And it's a kind of cool to see him dip his toe into football and as i was talking about on my podcast which we recorded earlier today with chris lanuti windy city slam podcast uh we were thinking that okay maybe this is a road for the rock to get into the nfl maybe this is the start of maybe okay if he could help run the xfl kind of make it a little bit successful at that level okay, maybe he'll get into the NFL. I think maybe that's a nice door to open for
0: The Rock. There's no, there's no doubt, Mike. You think about all the greats that we've ever seen and them being able to get into Hollywood, do some movies. Um, there's a lot of wrestlers in the past, but nothing like The Rock. The, the Rock, number one in Hollywood, and now trying to is now one of the owners of this XFL. Man, it's, it's the biggest thing for an ex-wrestler that I think that we've ever seen. It really is.
4: Yeah, it gets him out even more into the mainstream. He's like, you're right, he's like the number one guy in Hollywood right now. And if you ask somebody on the street, who is Rock or who is Dwayne Johnson, I think 95% of the people are going to know who that is. And it's great for wrestling, too, just because his name is out there. And I think people realize, yeah, this is a guy that used to wrestle. And now he's huge in movies, now he's in sports. I think it's nothing but great for the business.
0: Go to WindyCitySlam.com dot com to check out the Windy City Slam podcast with Mike Pankow. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN one thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. I'm going to ask you about um, two main organizations in wrestling. I'll start you with AEW. As a matter of fact, um, we we have been to AEW shows before together. I want to mm-hmm. find out your thoughts on the state of AEW. Things that you like and things that you question. Well,
4: I will say this: I, I, I think they're a little paying too much attention to the ratings. I think Tony Khan and Chris Jericho, they're making a big deal out of this. Yeah, they're beating NXT, which is supposedly the WWE third brand. Congratulations. Good job, guys. I, I, I love the product, don't get me wrong, but I think focusing on your competition rather than focusing on the, on the actual product itself, they have to get away from that. I, I think the show itself is a pretty solid show. Cody Rhodes is a great storyteller in terms of a wrestler in the ring. I love John Moxley as the champion. I'm, int- I'm intrigued to see um, if it is MJF that gets the next shot at John Moxley, uh, maybe at All Out coming up uh, in a few weeks. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be in Chicago like it was supposed to be due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think AEW has been great for the business. And the one thing I love about AEW is the Tuesday night AEW Dark show on YouTube. I think it's an opportunity for a lot of younger talents, guys on the indie scene that have come in. We've had guys from the Chicago area come in, like Robert Ego, Anthony, Joe Alonso, Fearless Musa, among others. Captain Sean Dean. They've done some great stuff on that show against talents, maybe people, more notable talents. Uh, on the card, like guys like Scorpio Sky or even Brian Cage's main appearances on there to, to wrestle some of these guys. So I think AEW does a great, great jumping off point for a lot of guys. The AEW product overall, I'm very pleased with. I think they still have a few things to learn, but I think Cody actually knows what he's doing. Tony Khan, it, people call him a fanboy and all that. I think he's doing a really, really good job. I, I just think... Um, they just have to stop focusing on, on the ratings war and focus on the product in the ring.
0: How about uh, what is happening with the WWE? You know, my my major issue amongst others, Mike, is that whatever you have in your locker room, you have to build on. Whether you like the talent or not, if you're Vince McMahon and the writers, you have to be able to build on what's in your locker room. Is Here's the equivalent of it, right? The equivalent of it is, uh, watching wrestling in the 80s and watching Hogan and watching Ric Flair and watching Nick Bachwinkle, whatever the wrestlers were in the 80s. And the announcer's always talking about, well, you know, Hogan's great, but Bruno San Martino was even better. And here's why. Or Ric Flair being in there, but yet the announcer's talking about Harley Race and Dory Funk. Uh, and, you know, the AWAA, Nick Bockwinkle's great, but boy, Vern was way better. My point is, is that the WWE with his current, um, the current. Product right now continues to reflect on its past by giving us Shane McMahon the other night mm-hmm. Rick flair all the their legends and it's like really it's about today it's about twenty twenty and having people invest in your talent today, but they continue every time the w w e is uh, losing in the ratings when they have a, a a conference call with their investors they just bring out the legends and I'm just thinking. Man, man, what about what's in your locker room? Either they're good enough
4: or you have to change it. Yeah, I mean, even Edge, who's brought back this year. I mean, I'm glad to see Edge back. But, yeah, the younger guys are the future. I mean, even I just retweeted something a little while ago on Windy City Slam on Twitter uh, about um, Ali not being a guy that's being pushed. Uh, Mike Bennett actually tweeted out that, he, well, why is he not a top guy? I really like Mustafa Ali, the mm. Chicago kid. Um Trained in the area. I think he's got everything that they need. I mean, God, they're street profits. I mean, guys like that. And the women's division is phenomenal. And the, I think the whole WWE roster is still the best overall roster in the world. And how it's being this mismanaged is, is, is kind of bothersome. I mean, it's um kind of crazy. And, um. You know, I, I'm glad to see Drew McIntyre get a shot. I mean, it only took him like 10, 11 years to get one. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. right, Other than that, you know, and AJ Styles had to be lifted up by The Undertaker. I mean, AJ on his own merits couldn't actually, you know, kind of be a top guy without having to face The Undertaker. Don't get me wrong, Love Taker, and again, that's going back to the old well, and they've done that with Triple H. They've done that even with Shawn Michaels in Saudi Arabia which I think was crazy. I think that kind of tarnished the whole thing with Ric Flair a number of years ago. Not Ric Flair. um, The Undertaker, when he lost the retirement match to The Undertaker Mm -hmm. at WrestleMania, I mean, I think that was all tarnished because of that. And even Ric Flair's tarnishing himself, going to Impact after he lost to Shawn Michaels. Maybe that's what I was thinking of earlier. But, yeah, I mean, going back to The Well, just way too much. I love nostalgia as much as anybody but there are just so many talents now that they can focus on and make the product better.
0: You know, and I always so check in myself, Mike, when I talk about wrestling and talking about these different uh, companies because I never put the blame on the men and women as much as just the creative. Because yes. you see, one, once you get through... Uh, the same droning promo that sounds the same like everybody else. Once you go through the the comedy that's only for an audience of one and Vince McMahon, you just look at the in-ring product and you go, well, you know what? They're doing the best they can despite the creative. It's it's kind of like the '80s, like boy, like all these characters that they had, but it didn't stop the men and women from working hard in the ring. So always give them credit because no matter their creative, they're doing the best they can to try to put on an entertaining product. And so, and sometimes people put a, a, a cloud over the talent, and that's that's not fair. It's it's really mm-hmm. about what you're given in order for you to be able to get over outside of your in-ring product. So that's. You know, that's the thing I'm always keeping my eyes on with
4: that. 100% agree with that statement. The talent is awesome, and it's not their fault at all. I mean, I think most talents do their, their best to get over in their own way. And sometimes it's just that glass ceiling or whatever, a bad creators.
0: What? Who is the must-see wrestler for you in 2020, Mike?
4: I tell you, I love Keith Lee. I, I mean, people have asked me this on a, some other shows as well. I think Keith Lee's got the total package. He's a big guy. He's athletic. He's well spoken. He just has the look of a guy you can get behind in terms of putting a company on his back. And now he actually has that opportunity in NXT. We had the tease with him on the main roster last year, with uh, earlier this year, even with with um, last year's with um, Survivor Series and this year with the Royal Rumble. So I'm thinking Keith Lee is is my guy. I, I love what he can do. And if you have to give me a 1B choice, I'm going to throw Adam Cole out there too. I really like what he brings to the table.
0: Yeah, so do I. I want to ask you another question about the Chicago wrestling scene. As we talked to Mike Pankow from, rest, uh, from Windy City Slam, you can go to WindyCitySlam.com or check out uh, Windy City Slam, its podcast, wherever you download your podcast, look for Windy City Slam with Mike Pancow. I want to get your thoughts about the Chicago wrestling scene. Um, I know you were telling me off air about warrior wrestling. What? How do you assess what is going on locally here with wrestling?
4: There's a lot of great promotions in the Chicago area. They've been kind of been stunted because of the pandemic. Most of them haven't even run a show since February. And that's kind of sad. But, yeah, we have a great scene in the Chicago area. Uh, freelance wrestling, freelance underground, Zello Pro, Chicago-style wrestling, uh, Berwin Championship wrestling, just uh, Pow Entertainment, just among the few in this area that, that put on really, really good shows. And now you say Warrior Wrestling, this Friday night, over at Marion Catholic High School, Dave Patillo Field, the football field, Friday Night Lights is the show, and the main event of that show, or one of the main events, is Brian Tillman Jr., who is the Warrior Wrestling Champion, faces Robert Eagle Anthony, who a lot of you may have seen at AEW Dark for the title. He's the number one contender. And in Robert Eagle Anthony's corner, Noel Foley's famous or infamous boyfriend, Frank the Clown.
3: Frank <laughs> the Clown
4: <laughs> See that sounds like fun just In itself but Because you just laid
0: out a story there That's good mm-hmm. Yep that
4: And also be... on that Also on that show You got Brian Cage And Jeff Cobb Which would be amazing Lance Archer Against Sam Adonis Now if you don't know Who Sam Adonis is He's Corey Graves' brother But he's so much more than that One of the best heels In indie wrestling um, he's, he's big down in Mexico He's big in Japan He's just getting his footing stateside in terms of uh, being a quality wrestler. And the big women's match on the show as well Kylie Ray faces Ray Lynn. Obviously, people know Kylie from Impact Wrestling. And one more match I want to mention before uh, we get going here is the Rascals, Dez, Trey, and Wentz from Impact Wrestling against the sick, high flying trio put together here Alex Zane, Blake Christian, and Benjamin Carter
0: that sounds that sounds like a good card because yeah, yeah. now you got the mixture of young talent and veterans um that are the attraction it's going to be you said marion
4: marion catholic high school chicago heights yes
0: wow that's amazing
4: that's amazing
0: mm-hmm. well tell us uh as we go tell us a little bit about uh windy city slam how if i went
4: to windy
0: slam com, what would i find
4: well right now um i haven't done a lot of stories lately because of the pandemic but uh Basically, it's my coverage of the area scene, uh, plus AEW, Impact, WWE, companies like that, uh, photo galleries, links to podcasts, um, links to um, all kinds of good stuff and professional wrestling, plus uh, a link to our podcast, the Windy City Slam podcast, which has been going on for a little over half a year. And Windy City Slam itself, is, as a brand, is celebrating our two-year anniversary. So we're very, very excited to... Uh, kind of continue what we're building
0: and try to grow the brand even more. Again, it's at uh, WindyCitySlam.com. And don't forget the podcast for Windy City Slam with Mike Pankow. Mike, I'm glad you spent some time with me, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
4: No problem, Jonathan. Have a good night
0: it's uh, Mike Pankow with us here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday we thank you for being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 our thanks to Sean Davis on the other side of the glass tomorrow it'll be uh, the baseball show starting at 6 o'clock on Wednesday right after Waddle and Sylvie and if you don't catch me there catch me earlier at noon I'll be on First Take Your Take on ESPN News and ESPN Radio alright thanks for checking out Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood Mike thank you so much oh,
4: that was awesome it came out great I
0: thought oh yeah Oh, yeah. We're a couple of pros. Of course, this came out great.
4: I do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Chris the other day was making fun of me about, uh, you know, uh, know, we could tell who the radio guy is, uh, eating him.